Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, thank you for coming tonight. We are going to the book of Ecclesiastes on Wednesday night, verse by verse, one chapter at a time. We're going to go through Ecclesiastes chapter 10. I just basically read the verse and make a few comments, and then we move on. This is not a complete study of the book, but more of an introduction to it. Verse 1 says, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. Sowed up a little folly, him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. I don't know anything about apothecaries. Maybe some of you do, but uh, there must be some truth in this first part of the verse that when the apothecary's making up his perfume, and that's what apothecaries do, they make up perfume. Um, if some dead flies get into the perfume, it contaminates the perfume. It contaminates the whole mixture, uh, from what I understand. And then it compares that in the second part of this verse, so doth a little folly, that would be like a dead fly, him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. So people who have a position uh, that is in reputation for wisdom and honor, if they participate in just a little bit of folly in their life, just a little bit of folly in their life, uh, it, it stinks up their whole life. Uh, it stinks up their whole reputation. And so we who are in positions of reputation have to watch our behavior. Um, that could be a pastor, a father is supposed to be a man in reputation uh, for wisdom and honor in his family. A mother is a position, I think, that should be in reputation for wisdom and honor in her family. Um, it could be a judge, it could be a school teacher. Um, they, uh, there's many examples we could use of this, I think. Um, some perhaps can think of perhaps a president that just maybe had a long administration, but just one or two acts of folly while he was in there is the one thing people remember. That's just negative human nature. Uh, when I mean, if you went out in the world and surveyed people and say, what can you tell me about King David? I don't think people would say, well, he reigned in Israel for 40 years and did that which was right in the sight of the Lord with a perfect heart. That's probably not what they'd say. What would they say? He committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband put to death. Uh, so a little folly can embarrass a pastor, a president, a judge, a father, a mother, a teacher, a principal of a school, uh, so that just that one act of folly can make their reputation stink in the sight of people. Uh, human beings give us very little space. Uh, very little space. And uh, I want to say to you in verse 1 here, a, a person who names the name of Christ, if you say you're a Christian, then you are supposed to have a reputation or wisdom and honor. And a little bit of folly can just stink up your whole testimony. So uh, let's be careful that we don't have a little bit of folly 
and think before we act and, and think about the uh, uh, long-term effect it'll have on your reputation and the name of Jesus Christ. Remember when David sinned, it said, he gave the enemies of God great occasion to blaspheme. I didn't have newspapers back then, but if they did, it would have been spread all over uh, the front of the newspapers. Verse 2 is an interesting verse. It says, a wise man heart a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Now, of course, this wouldn't be literally. I believe this verse number two is speaking about inclination. Inclination. Um, a wise man's heart. I mean, even to this day, 3,000 years after Solomon wrote this, we still have divisions in social, uh, uh, social um, philosophies, political philosophies that are always divided by what? Right or left. He's a right-wing conservative. He's a left-wing liberal. We still use that phrase, a person's inclination is either towards the right or towards the left. You probably noticed that. In our country, there's a, a great divide in our country of people who are inclined towards the right, people who are inclined towards the left. People are inclined more towards liberal things. People are inclined more towards conservative things and Christian things. And a wise man's heart is at his right hand, yet a fool's heart is at his left. I think the Bible's saying we ought to be inclined towards conservative positions, Christian positions, uh, those things that are, that are closest to the righteousness that is depicted to us in the Bible. Uh, fool's heart is towards the left. And, and when, you, when you look at the left and when you look at the times they've had their chance to promote liberalism, to promote socialism, to promote communism, it's failed. It's failed the people. And people have rebelled against it. Uh, when human beings have given Christianity and conservative a uh, conservatism a, a chance, it's always blessed people. It's always opened opportunities for people. It's always made people want to come in, you know, even illegal immigrants would want to live in a, a country that's based on those principles. Um, I was talking to Kevin, uh, one of our members that moved down to uh, Florida last year, and he, he was saying that he's down by Miami, Fort Lauderdale area, and he says that, you know, he, they constantly see boats rickety old boats coming in from Haiti and, you know, people getting off the boats and running like crazy into America, just trying to find a job or something like that. A fool's heart is at his left. He's inclined towards left, uh, the left when it comes to social and, and uh, religious, uh, political thinking, because it doesn't work. It's been tried and it doesn't work. I think eight countries in Africa alone, just in the last 10 years, have embraced democracy. They want to take a different uh, direction uh, because what uh, they had prior to that didn't work. Didn't work. Verse 3, Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he is a fool. And so... That phrase there in verse 3 that says, by the way, is referring to life's road. 
life's road. Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh life's road, as he walks by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he is a fool. And so uh, here's the fool walking by foolishness, and which he thinks is wisdom. The Bible says there is a wisdom that is from below in James 3, verses 15 and 16, that's earthly and sensual and devilish. But there's a wisdom that's from above in James 3.17. So there's two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom of the world that fails a person. There's the wisdom of God that helps a person. This man follows the wisdom of the world and it fails him. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. The world looks at him and says, well, that didn't work for him. Verse 4 says, If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, Leave not thy place, for yielding, that is submitting to the ruler, pacifieth great offenses. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, again, much of what's in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is written from the, 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 the position of living under a government that is, is a monarchy where you have a king, and he's the judge and the jury and the executioner all in one. And uh, so back then, you didn't want to get a ruler uh, to, uh, you know, uh, rise up against thee. If the spirit, I mean, if, if his emotions towards you got hot and he became angry with you because of something you did, the Bible says, whatever you do, don't run away. Do not run away, but yield to him, submit to him, show your submission to him, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. But boy, if a guy ran away, I mean, here's a king really upset, really angry at somebody, and the guy bolts for the woods somewhere, what's he going to do? He's going to send out his posse after the guy. But if the person stays there and, and, and says, you know, I was wrong. You know, there was a guy that actually did this in Solomon's day, and he, maybe he was writing about that fella. His name was Shimei. Shimei was a, uh, a vile man, a, a, a child of Belial, and when Solomon's father was alive, his father was running for his life with a bunch of his men down in the valley, and Shimei was up on the hill throwing stones at him and cursing David. And um, uh, he was just cursing him, and, and uh, one of the guys, I think it was Abishai, said to David, let me go up there and cut his head off. I'm getting sick and tired of you know, dodging stones all night here. And uh, David said, no, I'll leave him alone. It may be that the Lord has sent him to curse me. Uh, maybe God's just using that man to humble me. And uh, sometimes we get cursed out, don't we, Brother Frank? Amen? Uh, and uh, sometimes the phone calls here at the church, we get the, the negative phone calls. And, um, but, but David said, well, maybe the Lord's just testing me here, and maybe he's trying to humble me. And so he let Shimei. But anyway, David dies. So now Shimei is a nervous wreck. He says, man, David died. He let me live. I wonder what his son's going to do. And so he comes humbling himself before Solomon, throws himself at Solomon's feet, says, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, and so on and so forth. And Solomon said, you just, you just act like a man. You're going to be all right. And, and he said this to him. He says, now, don't cross over the brook uh, no matter what you do. He says, if you, ever, if you ever leave my sight, you know, you're going to die. And so Shimei was safe as long as he stayed uh, near the king. A couple of years later, his servants ran away, and he ran off after them and disobeyed the commandment of the king and was put to death. But as long as he stayed there, he pacified the anger 
of Solomon uh, for the way he had treated Solomon's father. And uh, so I know that's kind of hard to understand because we don't live under that anymore, but, but uh, uh, yielding pacifieth great offenses. Submit yourself to, to somebody who's an authority over you. Maybe they're upset with you. Maybe your boss is upset with you. Just go and say, hey, I'm sorry. You know, I want you to forgive me. I really goofed up. I, I, I'll, I'll try to do better next time. All right, verses 5 through 7 go together. It continues uh, with verse 4 to talk again about uh, government, but let's go through these anyways. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in low place. I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. So these verses just talk about how sometimes government gets all twisted up and backwards. Uh, the old saying, the cart before the horse, but verse 7 says, I've seen servants, people who are not worthy to be promoted riding on horses like royalty, and princes who are worthy and who should be ruling walking as servants upon the earth. And uh, this, this happens in every country. Even in America, we've had people, I think, who weren't worthy to be presidents and secretaries of state and secretary of defense put in those positions. And uh, others who were worthy just, you know, with no influence whatsoever. Verses 8 and 9, uh, but then the thing reverses and then good people get in government. And it goes back and forth. It has its ebbs and flows, all government does. Verses 8 and 9, I, I think, are just verses that talk about the danger of your employment. No matter what you do, you're going to be endangered by it. I think it's just a reminder to us in verses 8 and 9 to be careful uh, of what you do. Um, I know we, uh, we grew up on the farm. Farming is the most hazardous occupation in our country. Uh, and... Uh, you know, just the stories are unbelievable about what happens on farms. I personally flipped a farm tractor over on top of me and almost killed myself uh, when I was a young man. And uh, when a chain let go and I was trying to pull my brother out uh, on another tractor who was stuck in the mud. And... Um, Almost every year since, I've noticed some farmer has been killed in a rollover. It says, he that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. So if you're digging holes, there's a, you're endangered by it, you might fall into it. Whoso breaketh up a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. So here's a guy cleaning out hedges and, and tearing down old fences and so on and so forth, and a, a venomous snake gets him. Whoso removeth stone shall be hurt therewith. Uh, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. I remember a pastor friend of mine who was cleaving wood one day, and he got his axe stuck in the, 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 the wood, and then he took a sledgehammer out and hit the axe, and the handle from the axe came up, hit him right between the eyes, broke his glasses, and rammed the glass up into his forehead, and that provided me with my first opportunity to preach, because that was on a Sunday morning, and uh, they rushed him to the hospital to get his head all stitched up, and he called me up and said, you're going to have to preach today. He's going to the hospital. 
But whoso uh, he that cleaveth wood shall be in danger thereby. So it's just obvious, whatever your form of employment or you're traveling there or back, that's where most accidents are going to happen. Be careful. Uh, I know Roy used to tell me that it's not the new meat cutters who hurt themselves when they're cutting meat. It's the veterans who become careless and uh, become self-confident. So just be careful with whatever your, your work is. Watch your driving. Uh, even though you may take the route to work the same every day, uh, that's where you're going to be endangered. Now in verse, uh, verse 10 it says this, If the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, then he must put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. Uh, the word iron here means an axe, and uh, the word blunt uh, means to be dull. And the word wet, W-H-E-T, means to sharpen. If the axe or if the iron be dull or blunt, and he do not wet or sharpen the edge, then must he put to more strength. I think what we're learning here in verse 10 is that time spent in preparation is not wasted time. Uh, time spent sharpening the tools is not wasted time. And, and, and my grandfather used to do this. My dad used to do this. I heard Tom Malone one time in his preaching. Uh, he's about 90 years of age. I, I can remember him telling a, a, a story that's like what the world calls deja vu. Because the story he told about his life on the farm was the exact thing I experienced. He was talking about how his father or his grandfather or uncle or whatever, I think he went to live with his uncle, would, would take the time on the grindstone and sharpen the sickles and sharpen the size. Do you know what a size is? S-C-Y-T-H-E. It's a, it's a sickle blade about this long on a big, long handle, two-handle thing, and you go through the field like that with it. And he would sharpen the side. And, and, and as a young boy, our perception was, you know, just give me the tools. Get, let me get to work and get this over with. Now, why do I got to stand here and waste my time all day watching him sharpen this thing? But the, the wise man knew that by sharpening the tools, you would use less strength. You would get more accomplished in a shorter time if you spent the time in preparation. If you spent the time in preparation, you will, in the long run, accomplish more in less time. And, boy, there's so many applications you can make there in life. Uh, you uh, can accomplish more if you will take the time and properly prepare your life. Uh, this is why uh, uh, I don't know what the big rush is sometimes for people to want to get out in the world or uh, something, if they could maybe stay home and uh, complete their education and get a good spiritual foundation and not, and not be in such a rush to get out there. Uh, and then all of a sudden they're 30 years old, or, you know, and they don't know what they're going to do. They still don't know what they're going to do. And they never took time to sharpen. Uh, and there's a lot of things, too, in, in uh, spiritual applications. We could be better soul winners. We could be better Sunday school teachers, better preachers and uh, children's uh, church workers. Our, our bus ministry perhaps could have a, a sharper edge on it if we really put preparation into the bus ride to church, the bus ride home, or whatever, and I'm not saying you don't. But I'm saying we can accomplish more work for God if we really put the preparation time into 
the uh, um, uh, the tools that uh, we are using in the ministry or in life. Verse 11, uh, down through verses 15, I'm sorry, verses 11 through verses 14 is a subject that Solomon visits very often in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and that's the subject of the tongue. The tongue, I mean, this, the tongue just keeps coming up all, all the time in the books of wisdom in the Bible. Uh, because why? A man has such problems with his tongue. Uh, verse 11 through 14 is about the tongue. Verse 11, surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. Um, so you don't, you don't have to provoke a serpent to get it to bite you. Uh, and a babbler is no better. A babbler is, is somebody who just babbles. Uh, they, they don't say much, they just babble. Uh, they're no better. They're also venomous. They're also going to hurt people by the words that they say. But verse 12 says, The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Now there's a good lesson uh, for us right there. When we uh, think of the, uh, the Lord's words, it says they marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth in Luke chapter 4 and verse 22. Isn't that a great testimony? Uh, Jesus Christ, they marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth doesn't mean they like the words. I mean, they took them to the hill in Nazareth and just about threw them over shortly after. But he was gracious in the way he said things. And I think this would be a good lesson for fundamentalists to learn, that it's possible to say something that is completely true, yet to say it graciously, uh, and not have to, you know, have a harsh, uh, brash, a mean spirit. And so let's strive for graciousness. 1 Peter 2, 3 says, If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. As we get older, we ought to be, be becoming more and more gracious. That doesn't mean we're compromising. That doesn't, doesn't mean we're changing truth. It doesn't mean we're not still embracing sound doctrine. But it just means we're becoming more gracious in the way we present things. Um, so I want to encourage you to think about your speech. Is your speech gracious? Are you, are you gracious when you talk to your wife or your husband or your children or your parents? Are you gracious when you talk to fellow church members? Are you gracious at work? Uh, are you gracious to the, the person that uh, uh, has just, you know, sworn at you or scolded you or something? But the lips of a fool will swallow himself. Uh, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. Uh, the, the foolish person's lips end up consuming that person. They just consume everything about that person. That person ends up uh, not having anything. That's what we mean by consume. Like a fire consumes everything. Pretty soon, this, the lips of a fool, pretty soon he doesn't have any friends. They're all consumed by his tongue. He's hurt everybody. 
He doesn't have any converts. He doesn't have any disciples. He's, he's just consumed people. I, I, I've known of pastors who've consumed uh, congregations because their words were foolish. I've done it myself where I've, I've said things with the wrong spirit. Uh, and uh, just people were just consumed. I remember being very vitriolic in my opposition to television. I still oppose television. I'm just more gracious about it. But I can remember a man that, that quit coming to the church, and uh, uh, and he would. Uh, this was uh, man. This is almost 20 years ago. Uh, but but he said <laughs> he said I said you know why don't you come back? He says I'll tell you why I don't come back. He says I'm tired of you standing up there telling me or telling my wife and children who are sitting next to me what a bad father I am because I watch TV. And, uh, you know, it, it was just the, and I can remember the, the spirit that I used to launch into television about and so on and so forth, and I still encourage people to shut it off and find something more constructive to do. But, um, uh, you know, he finally just, he just said, forget it. I'm not going there. Uh, if, if you're just going to make me that big in front of my wife and, and kids, you know, on something that's based on your opinion. Uh, so uh, this is what the verse says, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. He ends up just consuming himself. Um, there's, there's people who live alone. Not, not, I'm not saying you single people, but there's people who live alone because nobody wants to be around them. There's people in nursing homes that sometimes don't have visitors because anyone that, that comes, just they just get launched into or attacked. Nobody wants to visit them anymore. Verse 13, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. He starts out bad, ends up worse in his conversation. Verse 14, a fool also is full of words. Now, if I could say it kindly, does that describe you? Are you talking all the time? It's not wisdom. A fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? In other words, if the future is hidden, and you and I don't really know that much about the future, why are we talking all the time like we do? You know, why we why we have to get the last word in on every conversation or on every subject that comes up? Well, we don't know what we're talking about anyway. That's what the verse is saying here, verse 14. Verse 14 says, nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the future, so why do we sit around talking like experts like we do? And so we shouldn't be full of words. Uh, Let thy words be few, Solomon said in another book he wrote. I want to encourage us to live by that. Verse 15, the labor of the foolish weareth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. This is the poor soul who works without wisdom. He works without wisdom. He may earn a lot of money, but he doesn't have the wisdom on how to manage his money. He doesn't know how to go to the city, is what the illustration is. He, he, he works like crazy, but he doesn't know what to do with what he works with. And I want to encourage you to examine your financial situation tonight. I'm amazed at people who who, if they could just get a grip on their finances, if they could just get some counsel, they could have some peace in their life. 
They could have some peace in their homes and in their marriage. Almost all marriages break up over financial matters. And the hardships, the strain that finances puts on the marriage. I want to encourage you tonight to get counsel. If you're in confusion at this time, this verse is talking about you. The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them because he knoweth not how to go to the city. He doesn't know how to work and then have the wisdom to use what he's worked for and to guide his affairs with discretion. And we've got people in our church, Brother Frank, Brother Mike, others that, that uh, would, would love to, to help you, would love to sit down with you for once in your life, get your finances in order. Figure out what you got coming in, what you have to have going out, what kind of debts you have, what kind of a debt retirement plan you can have, and, and start working with wisdom. And don't be like this person described in verse 15. Verse 16, Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child, and thy princes eat in the morning. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength, and not for drunkenness. So we see uh, the poor land where the wrong person is in government. The king is a child. That doesn't mean he's a little boy or something. It just means he's never grown up. He's never matured. It's all about himself. When it says, thy princes eat in the morning, verse 16, as you know, even in our society, most people eat in the evening. We may have a little breakfast in the morning, something more lunch, and then our big meals in the evening. That's, that's pretty much normal. But this guy here, he's, it's picturing him having a big party in the morning. Now, he's getting full and fat in the morning. And uh, he starts out his day wrong. In um, uh, Isaiah 5 and verse 11, it says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue all night till wine inflame them. Uh, so there's people who eat and they drink all day. And this fellow here, he's, 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 he, he ought to work first and then eat. But on the contrary, verse 17, Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles. In other words, this guy knows what he's doing. He's nobility. And thy princes eat in due season. They eat at the right time. And they eat for strength, not for partying. Uh, they're not gluttons. They're not wine-bibbers. They, they're not pursuing pleasure, but they eat just to get the physical strength. They're taking care of their body. They're watching what they eat. They eat right. They eat at the right times in due season. And the, the purpose they eat is, is to strengthen their body for the work for their work in life. I don't think we have a lot of people in our church that have a problem with this, but there's some people in the world that do. They, um, uh, they live to eat. Uh, they live to drink. They live to party rather than they eat and drink to live a life that's right. Verse 18, By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through. Well, take any ride you want through any country, any country road, and you'll see a barn whose roof's caved in. And right down the road, you'll see a barn born in the same circa that's immaculate and beautiful. Why? One was maintained, one was not maintained. Maintenance. And uh, Titus 3 and verse 8 says the Christian life must be maintained. This is why you see some people 
in our church who have been at it for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're still strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, both men and women. And why you see others that come, get on fire for a while, burn out, fizzle out, drop out. The difference is one knows how to maintain his Christian life every day. Every day he's in prayer. Every day he's in the Word of God. Every day he's in fellowship with God. Every day he's looking to be a witness for the Lord. Every day he just wants to know what God wants him to do. Every day he confesses his sins and gets right with God, gets right with others. He maintains his Christian life. And the other doesn't. The other doesn't eat for a week, and then they come Sunday and hope the pastor gives them enough spiritual food to last another seven days. That roof's going to cave in someday. By much slothfulness, the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands, the house droppeth through. So there's a spiritual application here, as well as the buildings when you drive down through the country roads. You've got to maintain a house or a barn or a shed. You've got to maintain your Christian life, too. Laziness destroys. Verse 19, a feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. I like this verse. Um, we know the love of money is the root of all evil. Scripture says that. But that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with money. It's the love of money. It's wrong when we serve money. But it's okay when money serves us. And uh, it's okay when money becomes a, a, a tool in the hands of a wise man or woman that, that's used rightfully. Um, it's, it's basically saying here in verse 19, what would you rather have, a party or money? Man, I'd rather have money. I don't know about you. Uh, a feast is made for laughter and wine maketh merry. How long does that last? How long does laughter and merriment last? But if you can get some money, and uh, that lasts, you can work with that. That's going to outlast laughter and merriment. The old saying uh, that I like in the Bible is, cold cash warms the heart. Amen? No, it's not in there. But uh, we used to have a wise old lady in our church that used to say that. Cold cash warms the heart. And um, so, uh, uh, did you ever see kids? They, <laughs> they get their, uh, you know, all these Christmas cards in or whatever, birthday cards, and they go <laughs> ripping the envelopes up and opening the cards up looking for the money in it. They don't even read the card. They throw that away and they pocket the money. I think that's what verses, uh, verse 19 is talking about here. But uh, we, can, uh, uh, we can use money. I mean, feasts and wine, you know, party, oh, we had a good time last night, right? Yeah, how long did it last? But money answereth all things. Money can be used for anything. So sometimes you, you can be a real blessing to someone by giving them some money. You know that? It can really be an encouragement to them. Or teaching them how to handle their money. Last of all, curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, 
and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Have you ever heard the old saying, a little bird told me? Maybe that's an old saying. I don't know if it's used much anymore. A little bird told me. You remember that? That's right out of the Bible here. I know birds don't speak, but uh, who are the people, who are the two groups of people that people like to curse the most? The government and the rich, right? The government and the rich. What does this verse say? Curse not the king. Don't curse the government. No, not in my thought. Don't, not even in your thought. And curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. When you're in your bedroom, don't curse the rich. I mean, the two people human beings like to curse the most. I mean, I don't care who the president is. I don't care if it's President Bush, President Clinton. If you've got a man who's a conservative, a man who's a liberal, it doesn't matter. Uh, they're fair game in America for somebody cursing them. And I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong. I mean, we can disagree with positions and everything, but the Bible commands us to pray for our president, whoever he is, pray for his cabinet. And uh, that doesn't mean we have to support his decisions and we have the freedom to vote people out in this country and so on and so forth. But it's wrong that all this, this uh, uh, dialogue of, of cursing uh, those in the government and the cursing the rich um, no matter what you say about someone in private, it always gets out. The Lord wants our hearts to be so right with him that our hearts are even right towards those who oppress us. I mean, when you think of the Roman government, what it did to Jesus Christ, crucified him. He didn't curse them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We ought to follow the example of the Lord, you know. We ought, to, we ought to pray for those in government, pray for the rich to be saved, even though they may, may oppress us and use people sometimes. A lot of rich people are wonderful people, by the way, uh, who worked hard to get to where, they, where, they, where they've gotten. Why should they be cursed? Eighty percent of your millionaires are, are, are self-made millionaires. They work towards it. Uh, they, ought, they ought not to be cursed. They ought to be set up as an example of some success and diligence and and wisdom, and maybe a pattern to follow for us. All right, so we've looked at Ecclesiastes 10 tonight, albeit briefly, let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word this evening. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures and the many, many different subjects that they bring to our recollection, that they jar our memories to perhaps think about. We've talked about the tongue tonight. Uh, Lord, we've talked about our heart's attitude towards the government and towards the rich. We've talked about those who are in reputation for wisdom and honor, who hold any position that we can't have any folly like dead flies that will stink up our whole testimony. Father, as we leave later, help us to remember something we can apply and be made better by it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.